Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here on a warm day in a very deserted city of Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on the programme today by Alex Till. Alex is the Chief Executive of Mentor, the Suffolk Enterprise Agency, and he also chairs the National Enterprise Network. Alex, welcome to the programme. Great to have you on with us today. That's fantastic. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. It's fantastic to have you here, Alex. Now, um, this podcast is all about leadership first and foremost, and effective leadership specifically. And that's really come under the microscope at the moment with the whole COVID-19 outbreak and businesses um, having to navigate that. Um, How has it been for you as a business leader trying to get through the last few weeks? Because I can imagine it's been very disruptive. Actually, Scott, it has been disruptive, not only for um, my own organisation, but also for those small businesses that we support. So sitting under the Mentor banner across Norfolk and Suffolk, we have, um, we have potentially 60 um, tenants which we work with who are also impacted by the whole COVID-19 aspects at the moment. Um, one of the phrases I've been using with my staff and the team is that we've got to pivot and innovate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically look at what we're doing, see how we can move, see how we can innovate around that, and then actually enable us to do some new things. Um, is it a challenge? Yes, it's a massive challenge, but we had to react rapidly within about two weeks. So all our face-to-face deliveries suddenly um, needed to become online. Um, and then what we needed to do as well was look at how we were supporting our tenants and our and those which were coming under some significant impact from um, from their purchases and their suppliers as well. It's really difficult at the moment as well, isn't it, to strike a balance as a business leader for being proactive and also being reactive as well, because it is quite difficult to plan for the long term when it's just there's just so much uncertainty. But also there is that need to be able to make decisions quite quickly based upon changing guidelines and new measures from the government as well. Yeah, the the impact which we've found has been significant. Um, The small businesses react at a very different rate from some of the larger organizations. Um, As soon as things um, started to impact and people were actually being asked to go into lockdown procedures, um, all of our tenants were suddenly saying, okay, can we still work from sites? Um, are there any are there any implications in terms of how much we pay? Um, so we had to react quite quickly and look at what our approach was, um, which, to be fair, as we'd removed staff um, from our, many of our centres but still retaining them and making them stay open, um, we stopped their service charge. So we said for three months we'll stop a service charge. Did it have an impact? Oh, yes, Scott, it's about £20,000 to our bottom line. Um, but what it enabled us to do is retain our tenants. Um, and in, enabled us to retain the conversations which we were having. The big piece for me is know who to talk to and when to talk to them. And there's no bad conversations. We're trying to make it work at the end of the day. We're all trying to make sure that business continues um, and that we can actually have some form of opportunity, even though this is a, is a crazy position for us to be in, um, look at the positives which are sitting within it. Exactly. It's a very much in a case of looking at the positives because there will be opportunities for business beyond this. And it's important that businesses are innovative and are able to hit the ground running and seize on those opportunities as well. Um, we, of course, have had crises before. We did have the 2008 financial crash, of course, but this is very much, as everyone is saying, unprecedented in its nature. Um, can you think of a time in your career, Alex, when you've had to take decisions like this, um, or is this very much new territory for you? I think what's interesting, in, in, in my past roles and um, in my leadership roles, sometimes um, when you work with local authorities or you're working with other, uh, other organisations who require you to deliver services, sometimes funding stops. Um, so you have to react, you have to redeploy staff, 
you have to look at how that's going to impact um, on the work which you're doing. So in a sense, it's not necessarily as big an impact in terms of everything stopping for us because we have to react quite quickly in the environment which we're in. Um, we're an enterprise agency, so we would like to think that we're entrepreneurial in terms of the way we which we deliver work. Um, and from that basis, what we try to do is um, be quite flexible, be quite nimble, and be able to react to situations. Obviously, there's going to be things which suddenly appear um, and COVID is one of those where you don't necessarily have a significant amount of time to plan. Um, but yeah, we've ha- we have to make fast decisions. It's, it's the nature of the business which we're in at the moment. It certainly is. And uh, we've talked a lot there about um, your sort of leadership style and attempting to navigate the uh, the COVID outbreak as well. But what would you say are the influences behind your own way of leading, Alex? My, my own way of leading, it's, it's really interesting. I was thinking about this earlier. Um, I have quite a varied background. I've done many, many different roles in many different ways from, 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 um, working in warehouses to retail to being able to, um, adapt in terms of my own lifestyle and, and working overseas as well. I think one of the things is you have to have strength of character. Um, you have to have a particular style and, um, you also have to know when to be quiet. It's a really interesting one, Scott, because, um, Sometimes we can all be noisy in these scenarios and we can talk up um, um, the doom and the gloom and all of the issues. Actually, at this moment in time, especially with the staff I've got, it's about actually knowing when to listen. It's knowing when to be quiet. And actually, it's being known. It's knowing when to um, to actually understand what you need to do as a business and make that decision and stick with it. Absolutely. And um, it's really sort of brought under the spotlight this whole period, the need for business leaders to be good people persons, um, isn't it? Because yeah. um, a lot of people, yeah, of course, um, have, so. they have to be independent because they're working from home, of course, but also there needs to be that little bit of regulation as well. Leaders need to be there just to make sure that everything's just ticking over as well. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting, Scott. We have um, what I call staying alive at 8.45 so we have a Zoom meeting every morning to make sure that everyone's in a good space, not in terms of only their work, which they're undertaking, but also to make sure that their mental health and awareness is in place as well. Um, and should anybody have any concerns, there is an open door, both to me and our HR department, for them to actually discuss things which may be concerning them. Because if we're honest, the big impact of this at the moment could be around mental health. Absolutely right. And um, when it comes to uh, going forward, being, um, of course, people, people and managing that, um, what would you say um, is really, really important for business leaders to sort of take into account going forward? Because this is going to change really the way that um, we work day to day, isn't it? This whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. We found that um, a lot of people are coping with it, but we've also had those who um, have had their own concerns. Bit for me, and I'll be really, really fundamental on this one, is that everybody is an individual and we'll be dealing with this in very, very different ways. We've got children off school, so we've got members of staff who are very focused in terms of what they want to do in their working capacity, but also mindful they've got other influences in their working environment. We've got individuals who are loan working, um, who use the interactivity of working with businesses themselves um, to stimulate them and to keep them engaged. Um, and then there's those people who just enjoy the ability to be able to get out. So our perspective, we're talking to everybody, we're understanding what their needs are, and we're actually looking at how this is impacting on their working day and their associated families. Um, for me, it's important. We need to understand our staff, we need to retain our staff, and we need to make sure that they're able to um, pivot and innovate at the same rate that the leaders are as well, because um, they may not always understand why things are being undertaken. 
I can certainly see where you're coming from there. And uh, this whole um, ordeal, as it were, is also a massive learning curve for not just business leaders, but also employees alike, isn't it? Because it is very much um, uncharted territory. And as a leader as well, I think it is important to have times like this, which really stretch you because it's essentially how you learn, isn't it? Business leaders um, aren't ready-made for certain roles. They have to, of course make mistakes and then learn from those mistakes. And it's all part of that journey of development, isn't it? Because as human beings, we are fallible, aren't we? We do have limitations. I think, I think, I think that's, that's a really interesting comment, Scott. Um, there's a term I used um, quite regularly many years ago, and it's about kicking us out of the comfortable ruts. And I think we are now being kicked out of the comfortable rut that we were in. Um, and it's actually making us innovate. It's changing the way we work. Um, interestingly, mileage claims dropped significantly um, and Zoom calls have increased significantly. So it's having an impact on the business um, which I'm running. Um, and yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's making us be challenged. Um, and that's going to only bring some real positives as a result of it. Exactly right. And we're looking at, um, of course, the um, increased use of social media as well to keep in touch during this time while we're all isolated. And it certainly had its benefits for uh, business leaders, um, especially. Um, But also it's important to take into account the limitations of it because um, it has as well, um, as a lot of people have said, um, well, before COVID-19, added to sort of modern day pressures, particularly for younger generations as well. And I think for the next generation of emerging leaders, it has made them almost a little bit afraid of making mistakes and facing criticism for those mistakes as well whereas do you think we should be telling them to actually embrace making errors and learning from them and instead try to shrug off that criticism from my perspective scott i've always learned from my mistakes so no no one's perfect um in in the organization i've got this phrase which some people smile at i look 80 percent progression not 100 percent perfection that 20 percent is where we all have some um some areas of of continued um growth continued development um we need to learn by what we're doing. The world is, is not a static place, um, and neither are we as businesses. So the things we do, the things we understand, the information we have, we need to react to it, and we need to change, and we need to adapt. Um, I agree, we need to embrace many things. Social media is a part of that. Um, will it be the panacea for doing business as we go forward? It may change the way we do business as we go forward. There's a lot of thought-provoking uh, stuff there. I mean, it could well uh, play a major part in the way that business is um, undertaken going forward from here. Um, based upon your experience then, um, Alex, um, if you were to give um, any advice to the next generation of leaders, say people who are about to start their first days in leadership roles, what would you tell them to really embrace? I'd tell them to embrace um, their own creativity, their own driven approach to how they are within their, their team and their organisation but also be humble enough to listen to the people around them. Um, one of the things I've learned from um, from being in a leadership role, both from the National Enterprise Network and also for Mentor, is that a lot of people have a lot of information, a lot of ideas. Some are often afraid to share it with you being the leader. Mm. You've got to have that ability to coax out and listen to it. Even if you don't react to that point, listen to it, understand it. It may be that they are saying some very, very good advice for you to actually take your business forward. Exactly. And I think it links back to this idea where there's almost a fear to share these ideas because of a fear of criticism, isn't there? I mean, and that's something that um, culturally, I think, is something that can change in this country, especially now. I would agree. I would agree with that, Scott. Um, Yeah, criticism. One of the things as a leader is um, I listen a lot. I always make my own decisions, but it's based on the information I receive from other people around me. 
Exactly. Being a leader, I think it's uh, so important to surround yourself with positive individuals who are going to advise you well and get the best out of you, but also you can get the best out of them as well. Of course. I have, I have, a, I have my circle of 10, Scott. People who um, see the world differently, have different ways in which they function. Um, and it's interesting, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, <laughs> there's a guy who I work with and he's, he predicates, but most of our discussion with, you know I'm an engineer. And I went, I know, Andrew, and you know that I work from gut and emotion and information. So we work in completely different ways and have different backgrounds, but it gives us the best energy to make things happen. That's um, a fantastic example, um, a really good example. Um, Interestingly, we've talked about leadership today as being um, a process of development and something that one can learn throughout their career, picking up certain skills, for example. But would you say that there are certain qualities, say, for example, a passion or a certain drive that some leaders just have to be born with? I think actually, Scott, it's it's interesting. Um, People have a range of different approaches to leadership. For me, I'm passionate about my role. I'm passionate about the work that I undertake. And I'm passionate about taking people forward on that journey. That, for me, is where my leadership comes from. I want people to understand that um, work can be an adventure. Never never want it will be the same as the next. Um, I feel that we need to be unique as leaders. We need to get make sure that the people working for us understand that. Um, and that actually, we can all progress and we can all learn and we can all benefit from the work which is being undertaken and that we all have significant roles within the organization. Yes, you may put the title of leader at the end. I'm Alex. I'm there. I drive my business forward with the passion that I've got and the people who are around me. We all have to have that same passion. I think that's a very fascinating approach, not necessarily burdening oneself with that tag of leader and being essentially on the same level as those around them. I think that's some sound advice for anybody looking to enter a leadership role. Um, I am conscious, Alex, of running out of time on today's programme, but before we do go about wrapping things up, um, do give me an idea of what you imagine the next year will hold for yourself, for Mentor, also for the National Enterprise Network as well, and also what you hope to achieve in that time, particularly navigating COVID-19 and then coming out of the other side of this outbreak? Sure. So if we go through the National Enterprise Network perspective right now, we've been doing a lot of work with Philip King, um, Small Business Commissioner. We're looking at how we can support the range of other agencies and the businesses they support across the country. What we're aiming for is to make sure that there is not a significant amount of um, business failures um, and also that we're able to retain the amount of people within their working roles and capacities. Um, during the next year and making sure that we can manage all of those financial scenarios which are which are currently coming about. Um, from a mentor perspective, um, we're still driving forward quite hard, looking at how our face-to-face delivery has now gone online. Um, that has had an interesting flip, actually, Scott, because where we've, we've reduced the, um, the number of venues and the number of locations, it means that we've actually had cost saving, which we've now been able to drive into more of our online learning. Um, and actually, we turn a lot of that around within the first week. So we're still delivering a, a vast range of business support. Um, for us over the next year, we're going to be looking at how we can, interestingly, iron out some of the things which weren't as smooth as we thought within the organization. So looking at the systems and the processes. Um, we're still going to be looking at how we support um, new emerging and existing business. And that will be through a social media presence at this moment in time. And we'll be looking at how we drive forward our brand and our positioning um, in a positive way to show that how we can support people alongside things such as the growth hubs, the LEPs, et cetera, et cetera, but also trying to support those who may be falling through the cracks at this moment in time. 
It's good to hear that there is that uh, proactivity because um, businesses do need that helping hand um, at this uh, point in time because it is very uncertain and uh, they need all the help they can get to hit the ground running and really seize upon the good opportunities that are going to come about as a result of this. Um, I have to say, Alex, it's been a really insightful and also an absolute pleasure having you on today's programme. And what I think would also be really beneficial for the listeners is to perhaps have you back on in a few months' time when we start to see that mist lift and that uncertainty subside and look at this retrospectively and just see how some of those hopes have been borne out. But for now, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me today. Thanks, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Have a great day. Have a great day, Alex. I've thoroughly enjoyed today. Um, Cheers, Scott. That was good. Really enjoyed it. Coming up next on uh, today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. As well as scoring over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, Sir Jeff remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of the World Cup, following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley 54 years ago. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff, and that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex... Uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at 
West Ham uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there. It's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players, and of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably. Well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time it may be overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned 
over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark. Mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen, so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play, and didn't start because of just. A lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position, and somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show you. He got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm I'm not making this up. I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year 
they've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can think, tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. On this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden I heard somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it, it, uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh, if you laugh If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. No, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. 
but I do think you you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's that has an influence how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um. Well, a play, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but. There's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just... Luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leading show. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they've they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, hmm. no question at all. I think they. Uh, Ron Green was yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back. Uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that. So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I'm going back to an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all 
hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind in this, uh, single mind in this dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.